God will do that for you. And that what happens this morning from here forward will make a huge impact in your life. As we start, I want to point out to you the very first verse, 38, in this section in Luke. It's the verse that is contingent on the rest of this passage and we always gloss by it. But it says that they were going along, Jesus and His disciples, and they entered a certain village and a certain woman named Martha welcomed Him into her home. Martha welcomed Jesus in. So hear that. And I'll get back to that in a little bit. But I point that out to you because a lot of times we forget that part of this story. It's the most important part. It's the first part. But we like to talk about the end and what's going on there and we miss the whole theme. Now when I was a little boy, there was a phrase in our family that was this. It doesn't matter who did it, we'll blame John. (laughs) And that was it. Who's to blame? He's to blame. It was easy to know who the he was because the rest of them were she's. So, after a while, I began to think if I was to blame, then there must be something wrong with me. So, no matter what got broke or damaged, uh, of course, I was the one who must have done it. I was the blame. But what, what, what I didn't realize is a saying that's going around now, and you may have seen it on little plaques and things. It says, I didn't say you did it. I said I was going to blame you. You ever seen that one? I like that one. But that's how it was for me. I didn't say you did it. We're just going to blame you. Me, the you, in that situation. But when that happened, as I grew older, I began to think that that must mean I'm a bad person. So when they said, in class, you've got a problem, they said, no, you're wrong. And I thought, I'm wrong? Not my answer was wrong, but I'm wrong. Because my answer was wrong, therefore, I'm wrong. So I had to try to be perfect in all I did. Strive to make good grades. And if I didn't make a good grade, then I was wrong. Not I did wrong, I am wrong. And there's a big difference between the two, isn't there? You ever felt like that? That your mistakes and failures follow you and give you your identity rather than the fact that you are not wrong, you have done wrong. And there is a difference between behavior and person. I didn't know that. So as I grew older, it was hard for me to accept criticism because I always felt shame because I was the things I did wrong. My mistakes were me. They were reflective of a flaw in me, not a flaw in what I did because of my sin nature. And so I had this sense in life that there was a wrongness in stuff about me and then there was some rightness, if you know what I mean by that. So if I did things that were wrong or made a mistake, I had a sense that I was wrong. But if I did things well and didn't make any mistakes, then I was right. That was my basis for right and wrong. Now this rightness word here, you could also use as righteous. Because that's what it felt like. I was in favor with others, like in favor with God when I did right. So I was righteous, living in rightness. But if I did something wrong, intentionally or not, I was not in right. Therefore, I was 
in wrongness. <laughs> That's the best way I can describe how I felt as a young man. But as I got older, it became more an identity. And God had to do some work on that. A lot of work on that. And I'll tell you why as we get closer to looking at the story of Mary and Martha. Yesterday, my wife and I went through Illinois and we passed through a town called Belknap. Mm -hmm. Belknap is a beautiful place. Heron Pond is there. We were very near there with the blue herons, very rare in this area. But that's where they migrate to and live for much of the year. And we were near there having a, a, an anniversary dinner. And I was thinking, you know, this thing wasn't here 20 years ago when I lived in this area or 25 years ago actually, 26 now when I started pastoring in that area. And I sure would have liked to have seen this restaurant because it was nice. A very relaxed and peaceful environment. A lot of geese around. And I thought about the times that I ministered and all the different people who lived in that community. And my mind went back to a certain woman who every Sunday, um, for lack of a better way to say this, made me feel like I was an effective preacher. Because every Sunday she came up and gave her life to God. Every Sunday she got resaved. So every Sunday I was prepared for her, if she was there, to come up to the altar and say, I didn't do it right last week. I didn't say the right word. I think I might have forgot something. Let's do it right this week. And so every Sunday I led her to Jesus Christ. I got a lot of practice. I don't know that I could call that each time another notch in God's belt. But I will say this, that it, it taught me something. Because what she would say to me later is, um, I said it wrong. I don't think I said the right word there. I think I forgot something about sin in there. And so I need to do this again. And during the week she would call and say, what if I didn't get it right and God's mad at me and i got to do this again? I don't know if I'm really saved. I don't feel any different. I think i got to do it again. Every week we went through this for a few years. Well, why? I think because she was living in fear. She didn't want to miss out on God, which is a good thing not to miss out on. Amen. But what she was missing, and what I think she was thinking was, is if I failed to do this the right way, that I don't get to be with God forever. I'm not saved. I don't get salvation if I don't do my part right. <laughs> I'm failing. And therefore, God's going to reject me. Well, sometimes we feel that way, don't we? I failed God. I let Him down. Of course, your job was never to lift Him up. It's His job to lift you up. But I talked with her over and over again. And she felt like she could never get it right. And I didn't know what I know now to tell her. You see, what we learn is grace isn't contingent upon what we say or do or how we say or do it. Grace is not, did I say the prayer right? Grace is based on Calvary. It's a done, finished work. Jesus said, it is a finished work. You can't add to it. You can't take away from it. It's completed at His crucifixion. His resurrection sealed the deal for us for eternity. He did all the work. It's done. Oh, I didn't say it right. Therefore what? Calvary doesn't work? <coughs> Not true. Grace is contingent upon God's act through Jesus Christ. Not on if we say it right. 
I promise you, the prayer you pray did not save you. It's the blood of Jesus Christ that does. Amen. Amen? It's the blood. Nothing else. In the grace of God, our faith is not from us. It's a gift of God. Scripture even says our faith is a gift. Amen. We don't manufacture faith. God puts it in us. It's a gift of faith. It's for a while, I thought, I have a lot of faith. Well, only if God put it there. And now I have to exercise and help it grow and use it. But we don't need a whole lot. We just need a seed of faith. A mustard seed of faith. And I think each one of us, God has given at least that much. Whether or not we know it. So let me say this. If you're here today and you think you are saved because you said it right, or you're doing it right, or you prayed it right, and you prayed the sinner prayer word for word out of the back of the, of the little textbook or the tract of the Bible that you have, and therefore you are saved, I want to tell you that isn't what did it. Grace came from God, not from you. You didn't do it. Don't boast and say, I said it right, therefore God has to save me. It's not about your prayer. To take it off the focus of Jesus Christ means we're missing the story. We're forgetting the one thing that's most important. All of us get the same grace. All of us. The grace God has for you is the same grace God has for me is the same grace He has for the next. And grace says you don't owe anything in return or else it's not grace. There is no cost to grace to you. <laughs> now it cost Jesus Christ quite a bit, but that was His grace to do that. And it was a gift to you and to me and to all of us without charge. There's not something we have to do right to qualify for it. All we have to do is be a sinner and need grace. I qualify. Scripture says you all do whether you know it or not. You need grace. You need Jesus in your life to transform who you are in this world and this community. So since grace doesn't require anything, this isn't about you. It's about Jesus. It's not about whether you're right or whether you're wrong, you're neither. You are blessed and loved. And we want to stick all this other stuff in there, don't we? Well, you know, I don't feel saved. I don't feel loved. I don't know if God loves me or not. Or I don't even know if I'm saved or not. And sometimes you feel that way. Well, let me ask you a question. If you are concerned whether or not you belong to God, and whether or not you're going to be with Him in eternity, that's a good sign you're concerned about the things of God. It's a real good sign. Because if you're not worried about whether or not the hellfires are just destined for you or not, and you don't care about that, and you're not worried about forever, there's a chance you don't know who God is. Amen. Because you're not worried about those eternal things, or think about them, or consider that they might exist. So rather than boast of our rightness, as I used to do when I did things right, you know, I was an arrogant little kid when I did things right. I was. I would say, I did it right, therefore you must do something right for me. I earned this. This was my thinking. 
when I did it wrong, it was, I did something wrong. You can't bless me with niceness. I don't deserve niceness. I messed up. I'm wrong. You can't give me anything. And that was the two sides of the coin I lived on. Neither one, grace. All about me. So, rather than boast of whether we're right or we're wrong, let's look for a Heavenly Father who teaches us that love holds no record of that wrong. (laughs) Of the wrong. Don't miss this. He holds no record of the wrong. It took away my fear of wrongness when He did that for me. God holds no record of it. And I keep going, but I'm such a man. He said, I don't know what you're talking about. But I messed. He said, I don't know what you're talking about. Before me, you are spotless. There is no record. I don't know what you're talking about. But God, let me remind you. Here's what I did. He said, it was not recorded in my book. Listen to this. When you come before God as a member of the family of God in Jesus Christ, all of the requirements against you are wiped out. There is no record of wrong against you. None. But that isn't what we're concerned with in eternity when we belong to Jesus Christ. What we want to look at is the other book, the book of life that says the records of things we did for God after that. The things we did in gratitude and thankfulness to bring others and to bless others. How are we helping others around us? This sense of being wrong is a sense of shame. Unhealthy, toxic shame eats at your very soul. It made me have ulcers and gastric reflux at a very young age. All that worry. I was a worry ward. You've heard my story. I was a fearful little kid. But I also felt I was unworthy and that's why I was fearful. The fact of the matter is being unworthy is just a state of being of it being sinful. But it's a lie to say that you have to stay that way. And so we come to the story today of Martha. And Martha has invited Jesus. And we learn other passages in Scripture talk about Martha serving Jesus. This isn't the only place. But she's invited Jesus And her sister is sitting at the feet of Jesus. And Martha is busy getting things ready. (laughs) She looks over at her sister and asks Jesus a question because her sister isn't helping. Now here's where the story gets a little convoluted when we tell it. But we think that because she says that Jesus doesn't care that Mary's sitting there, that Martha should be sitting there too by Jesus' response. It isn't what He said. And what's translated in our Scripture isn't what was intended by what Jesus said. Often what He says, we miss the rest of the story. Paul Harvey got it right. Jesus tells us, but the original hearers of what was going on here understood what we don't. This morning I'm going to share with you what was going on. When Martha says, do you not care that she has left me to do all the work of preparing things for you. Truly, there is a lot on Martha's mind. She invited Him. She wanted things right. Isn't it true 
when you invite someone over, especially when I was a kid, uh, every Saturday when someone would come over, we'd have to make sure, clean the living room, clean the living room. Oh, Lord, they're coming in ten minutes. Get the stuff off the couch. Get your stuff up out of the room and let's get ready. And my mother would be spastic because she knew company was coming. Company was coming for us was not a joyful statement. It was mom's going crazy. we got to clean everything up that, where they're going to possibly be and throw it in closets and in rooms where they won't be. <laughs> That's how it was. Company's coming. And we knew for the next however long till they got there, my mother was a train wreck. She was like Martha. Company's here. i got to do something. i got to make sure everything's right. Why? Because that's the nature of being a host or a hostess. You want the company to feel welcome, to be a part of everything. This is a good thing. Hospitality is number one in the Middle East then and now. To open your home to strangers as if they were friends is still the most important thing. And Martha is doing that. It's a very good thing she's doing. But she sees Mary not doing the hospitality thing. And so she wants to fix her. She wants Mary to become a Martha. And Mary is sitting there going, why don't you become like me? They're both thinking each are wrong. But they're not. Neither one is. And we'll see that. But there's so much on Martha's mind that in, in codependency she says, I've got to have help. Otherwise I'm going to fail at serving Jesus. <laughs> oh, I love that. I think I'm going to fail at serving Jesus. Amen. I've invited Him into my life, in my home. Now I'm going to fail if you don't help me. And Jesus looks at her and says, here's what He doesn't say, Martha, you'll never fail me. You can't fail me. You're under grace. There's no record of wrong against you. You can't fail me. She doesn't get that. And if Mary doesn't get up and help her, she hasn't failed Jesus either. There's no record of wrong. Jesus is there to love them as they are. Codependently, we say, I need to prove my value to you so you will like me and accept me and think that I am worthwhile being around. So I prove my value to you to convince you. And if you don't like me and I'm working at it, and this is how I think I earn value, I work harder. And if you still don't, I'll work my fingers to the bone to show you how important I am to you. This is what we think when we are the workers. And we don't understand why others don't join us, see the need, or help, because we know that this is how value is driven. But it's driven for us this way. Not for others necessarily. And some others say, man, they work so hard, they're working their fingers to the bone, man, they're just trying to make everything right. And Well, that's just them. That's not me, that's them. And so we think, you know, I don't do that. And we begin to set up odds that, well, this one's doing wrong and that one's doing wrong, and we don't know which is right and which one's wrong. And the fact is, neither one is. There's no record of wrong in God's perfect love. There is no wrong here. 
But if you believe that your actions create God's love or others' love, you're in for a long, hard life. You can't earn it. And you can't be good enough. You can only be loved. And love does not make you good enough or bad enough. It just makes you loved. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Yet, when my children act a certain way and then they do it later, I go, here they're doing it again. (laughs) If I didn't keep a record of wrong, I would say, oh, they're doing it. And there would be nothing connecting me to the frustrations or anything else in my life connected to that particular act. It would just be, my child is not doing what I've asked. I need to love on them. Let them know. And then let it go. But that isn't how it works, is it? <laughs> no, we get frustrated. Discipline is necessary because we don't want them to do it again. And when they do it again, stronger discipline because we keep records of wrongs. But God, in His kindness to us and grace, doesn't keep that record. I don't know how to explain that any simpler than that. When you don't know that God loves you, you think you have to earn it. If you think God's love doesn't matter, then you put it on the outside of your life and you live life any which way you want. But when you have the freedom to be who you are, under grace and freedom and mercy. Isn't that a good thing? Sure it is. There's no greater darkness than blindness to the love God has for us. But I have good news for you. Jesus came to give sight to the blind. This story is not about Martha, whether she was doing too much or Mary, she was doing too little. It's about Jesus. We always want to focus on the the people rather than the Messiah. It's not about Him uh, chastising anybody because He was not chastising her. This is what we don't understand is Jesus did not chastise her. He says her name twice. He says, Martha! Martha! And in so doing, He sees her and loves her and looks straight through her heart and says, you are so worried and so distracted by so many things in your life. It's not a condemnation. This is who she is. She has the mind that can do all that. They can put 15 things in a row and make sure they all go. He says, you're worried and distracted about that. Thank God you can do it. We need people like that. Those of us who can't wonder how anybody else can. I'm lucky to walk and talk at the same time. That's why I'm holding on to the pulpit. So I stand and talk. It just happens that way. It's about Jesus Christ offering grace to both. But what we hear is Jesus saying this. One thing is needed and she's chosen the good part not what he said. He said there's one thing needed for each of you. She chose her good part. You chose your good part. They are both needed. Uh And what she does and what you do, 
I'm not stopping being that way because I made you both that way. I'm not taking what I created you to be away from you. This is how I made you. Do you expect me to condemn you for being that way? You're worried and distracted. I get it. I made you that way. And that's needed. One thing is needed. You do the thing that you're doing. That's needed. You're hosting. She's listening. That's her one thing. They're both right and good. Think of it this way. If God created you a certain height and all of a sudden you felt like He should have made you a foot taller or six inches shorter for some reason, does that mean God didn't want you the height He made you? Does that mean He's going to condemn you for being too short or too tall? No, He's not. There's no wrong there or a record of that being wrong except when we look at it and go, hey, you know, God, if You could have just given me a better metabolism or, you know, better eyes or uh, curly hair. Not that I want curly hair. I had it once. Um, another story. Um, but God, I want to know that the way I am is how You wanted me. And we don't think it is because we see the way things could be different and better. But God said there's nothing wrong with that. Do you remember the man born blind in John chapter 9? They said, was it his parents that sinned or him that caused him to be born blind? And Jesus said, neither one sinned. He was born this way for the glory of God. You're made the way you are for the glory of God, not condemnation. Not for sin, for glory. God knew what He was doing. He will tell you over and again, over again, you are the way I wanted you to be when I thought of you. When I put you inside your mother's womb, I formed and crafted you that way. Do you think I'm going to be upset at you because you are the way I wanted? So, Jesus is not condemning Martha for being who she is. And He's not condemning Mary for being who she is. He's thanking them for staying true to who they are as created by Him and asking simply not to expect others to see you as different than He does. Because others who expect you to be something you're not are trying to put labels on you and tell you you're wrong. Mm -hmm. You're the blame. Here's what we miss sometimes. Martha did not need Mary's help to do what she was doing. She's done this many times. She didn't need the help. Mary's helped her before. Mary and Martha have served Jesus. But... She did not need Mary's help to ensure that she would not disappoint Jesus. So often we feel like you've disappointed God. You know, I should have done this, but now God's upset with... God's not mad at you. He's not kept the record of what you've done. You're holding that. And saying, therefore, I can't serve God. That's not true. You can serve God. You can continue to come before the throne. You cannot fail Him just as Martha could not, just as Mary could not, no matter what you did. Why? 
Because His grace is not based on you. His love is not based on you. His acceptance of you is not based on you. It's based on Himself and His sacrificial death on the cross. It's based on nothing but that. Martha was created by Jesus to be a server, a hostess. She chose to invite Jesus in because that's what she does. Please don't ever ask me to cook you a nice four-course meal. It would probably be a cup of coffee, a boiled egg or something like that as a second course. Um, maybe a glass of milk for the third course and a bowl of ice cream for the fourth course. That's about as good as I can do in a four-course meal on short notice or long. <laughs> Don't ask me to do that because that's not my skill. You ask my wife for a four course and she'll give you seven because she does above and beyond. That's what she does. And I love her for it. And she's loved regardless of if it was a one course or if it was, can we order pizza tonight? Doesn't matter. It's all the relationship is still the same regardless of the serving level or attentiveness. Martha saw a need and she met it. Mary had a need and Jesus met that. When you see Jesus' statement to Martha as not a scolding, but an act of love, the whole story changes, doesn't it? She did not fail Jesus' expectations. She met them. He knows her. He knows what she's going to do already. And we distort who Jesus is in our minds when we come to this text and look for right and wrong answers for who should do this and who should do not. Why? Let me tell you something. If this church didn't have the workers that are in it, we wouldn't get anything done. Did you know, in most churches, 20% of the people do 80% of the work. Did you know that? And it's true. Here too. That means about seven folks here do most of the work for most of the events that we have. Most of them. And uh, some of them cook day and night. And some of us go, well, I'll show up if I get time because we're the ones that don't know about serving. But let me share something with you. This church has many opportunities. Many opportunities that we're looking at to serve, to grow, to participate, to be involved. And we're going to talk about some of those tonight. Amen. And I'm excited about that. I really am. So don't think that you're wrong because you're not part of the 20%. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that this is how it is. But to become more active in things and to be more involved in things says, I want to know what's going on in my life with God, in my life with the church, in my life with my friends at the church. It's becoming involved. And that's a powerful way to look at things. You know why? Because it means we all can get an opportunity to sit at Jesus' feet when we need to. And the workers can rest when they need to rest and others can give them a break because they're not real good at serving. It takes them longer. But the 80 can do the work of the 20% sometimes. And the 20% can do the rest at Jesus' feet sometimes. And that's okay. 
Sometimes it's hard for us to stop when we're the busy people and rest. And for those of us who are the resting kind of people, it's hard for us to get up and do something. But the church at rest needs to be the church at work as well for some area. And we all have a task. I'm going to share this with you, and I've not said this from the pulpit before, but it's really important. Every single soul in this sanctuary this morning have a task and an important part in the life of this church. God has called you to offer something to this church. To do something here. Whatever it is, I can't tell you, but you have a gift from God. Not sharing it is to say you do not. Or that you refuse. And that is saying that no one will appreciate it, or it doesn't matter, or I don't matter. Either way, your gift is given to you because it's needed. Here. Truly is. And we're going to talk in the future about how we can become more giftable in our actions. Here's the thing. We feel like we can't come to Jesus without fear of failure. Just like the young lady who kept coming and getting saved. I kept doing it wrong. I failed. And we think we can't come to Jesus without failing. Mm -hmm. Or that He's going to reject us because we're not good enough. (laughs) Or Or we don't have what it takes. But I have to tell you something. There is no fear in your relationship with Jesus Christ that He brings. Mm -hmm. You're bringing that. He's not here to condemn, scold, uh, condemn, criticize, isolate, embarrass you. He's only here to show you that love keeps no record of wrong and you can walk into a relationship without fear of judgment or rejection and find hope and peace in a time of need from a Heavenly Father who created you, designed you, and wants to lift you up to be a better person for the Kingdom of God. All He's saying is remove your anxious thoughts. Do not worry. Do not fear. It is the most repeated statement in Scripture. 365 times He says, do not be afraid. Why? Because we are afraid. (laughs) But there is no fear if there's no judgment. There is no casting out. So remove those thoughts and come to the table of God to the kingdom fully welcome and don't restrict yourself. And don't hold back. After all, that's how God set it up to be. Last Sunday when we had communion, it's for anyone who has a relationship with Jesus Christ, bar none. Anybody who has a relationship. There is no requirement other than relationship. And who started it? Jesus. He's got one with you. All you have to do is have one with Him right back. And there's nothing stopping you from that but your fears, thoughts, and what other people might think. So this morning I want to tell you something. Just straight up. If you don't know that kind of relationship yet, it hurts. It's lonely. And this world's big and scary. It really is. 
But if you do know that kind, then you know what it's like to spend a moment in prayer and feel like the world is just light as a feather on your back. You're not wrong. God didn't make a mistake when He made you. He's got a story to build through your life that He wants you to tell. He may not be done crafting it yet, but you got to let Him continue the story. And I pray today that you understand that God didn't make a mistake with you. He loves you so much, He can't take His eyes off you. And He smiles when He thinks of you. (laughs) Even when you're not thinking of Him. Because He loves you that way. Would you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, remind us that it's not what we do or what we don't do, but who You are that says we're welcome in Your presence. So many times it seems we felt condemnation from the world, from ourselves, thinking we're not worthy or good enough. We made you mad or even heard people say that uh, they're unforgivable or you, you, you can't help them. But Heavenly Father, you never said that. You never once said that we were unredeemable or that you didn't want us or that we weren't welcome. Never have you ever said that. Never will you. As a matter of fact, your word tells us that the kind of people you're looking for are those who have a broken heart, humble, knowing that you did it for us, not we did it so you would like us. And so I ask that this morning, if there's anybody who does not know those truths about you, that you're not holding a record of wrong, that we're free. If they don't know that this morning, Heavenly Father, that they would come to know you now. That way, in Jesus. Amen.